Unspoken Issues. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Unspoken Issues podcast. We are getting ready to jump into the image universe. That's right. And this is actually going to be an event discussion where a lot of the image heroes are coming together to face one threat. Now there's only, there's a handful of events that happen in the image hero universe. This is called Mars attacks image. And I, I, we were calling it Mars attacks, the image universe, which actually that sounds a lot. <laughs> Sounds, I mean, that makes more sense than Mars Attacks image, but I understand what's happening here. It's the image universe that uh, Mars Attacks is showing up. Now, I'm not here alone, of course. Dean Compton is with me. Dean Compton, are you ready to talk about Mars Attacks image? Yeah, I mean, I'm as ready as uh, I, you know, can be. I mean, we're trying to get this done. It's a little spooky. The Mars Attacks uh, property goes back to the 60s, the Great Wally Wood, dealing out that EC style clean gore. I don't know. That sounds like dichotomous, but Wally Wood with that clean look, giving that gore, making, you know, apparently like created an uproar in the 60s. Fucking Mars Attacks is a great property. We obviously hear, you know, 90s comics. You can't talk 90s comics without talking image, and you can't talk about image without talking about those early days of the image universe so it seemed to fire on all cylinders for what we do here let me ask something because i should know this honestly is this a tops comics crossover because mars attacks like they had the lineup they they would have had they had the license because tops tops cards owns mars attacks but i don't know if they were still publishing comics at this time mars attacks image number one of four december of 96 first printing and out of business by then all right, I was going to say it does say Mars Attacks is a registered trademark of Topps Company, right, but right, yeah, right. there's the not there's company. not a mention of Topps on the front cover. Right, uh, I couldn't remember because Topps did Mars Attacks comics right. during the time when they did uh, the Kirby verse, the uh, Dracula stuff, Jason versus Leatherface, uh, X Files, Xena, a few other things, and honestly, a company really worth looking at. the the uh, The Mignolia uh, Dracula stuff's really good to look at. Jason versus Leatherface, a lot of fun. X Files. It's weird to think about now, but like the X Files comic was hot. And not just like hot, like money wise, but it was critically acclaimed, probably because there was too much oversight from the X-Files people. Apparently it made it very late, but I'm getting off on the, a different subject. But, you know, Tops has always owned Mars Attacks. It's neat to see they were just in the comics game. They were apparently out by this point. I wasn't sure quite when that line of demarcation was. But it's neat to see these type, uh, these aliens, you know, bust into the image universe. And this is also around the same time that Tim Burton is dropping the Mars Attacks movie. So I'm sure that didn't hurt, you know, hey, let's get something out there that uh, gets that property onto some comic book shelves, even if we're not uh, publishing comic books anymore. And you can also tell that, like, Eric Larson and uh, Gary Carlson and Keith Giffen like the Mars Attacks property and really wanted to play with it. So uh, I think this has its ups and downs, but we're going to have fun talking about it. Right, right. Uh, yeah, the Mars Attacks movie came out December 13th of 1996. Like I said, the inside cover had it listed at December. I, I assume it was probably a month maybe before that or two, maybe at the most that it got the comic book released. So that's usually what you see regardless. Yeah, you're right. It's tying in with, it's kind of jumping on that popularity of the film. That's, uh, that's upcoming. It might've been right at the same time. Heck, you never know, but, uh, Hey, we, you and I aren't alone, Dean. We got Derry. Did you know, like, okay, so this is a 1996 comic book. Did you know much about Mars attacks prior to the film or this comic? Did you know anything about it at all? No, I didn't know anything about Mars attacks, uh, but I bought this off the shelf because I was very excited for an image crossover. The first issue's cover literally has 
Spawn, Savage Dragon, Fairchild, and Shadowhawk all together with someone with a cape uh, in the background. This was exactly the type of comic I wanted because yeah. I love the image lineup. I was getting, at the very least, uh, Dragon and Spawn regularly. And when I saw this, I was like, I want this. I don't really know what Mars Attacks is. Everyone else is saying it's kind of an older thing. That's fine. The movie was out at this time. I didn't really like the movie. I'm not the world's biggest Tim Burton fan, but this comic was great. Uh, I bought it off the shelf. I have read it since then, and uh, it doesn't hold up 100%, but for the most part, it was a really enjoyable reread. That movie, I honestly think much like, it's it's funny when you think about it, because like when people talk about Tim Burton and like Batman, they're like, he made it serious, and he made the tone less campy. I'm like, have you seen Batman Returns? Like, it is full of nothing but like penguin commandos and like it doesn't make any sense like all of this silly like look like i get it it's dark but it's still just as campy i feel the same about like mars attacks like people people are like oh he's gonna make this like you know this is gonna be something that people are gonna be able to sink their teeth into it is a silly movie yeah. it's a silly movie and i think the martians look good other than that i can take or leave it but uh there is it the is martians look great and that's really Sort of like the Ghost Rider movie. That's most of what it is. Like, people shit on the Ghost Rider movies, too. But I'm like, motherfucker, he drove that fucking flaming motorcycle up a building. And that's and his, flay, and his skull was on fire. And that's why I'm here. And it looked yeah. fine. So I'm fine with most everything else. I think Mars Attacks is kind of similar to that. They, Mars, the Martians look great. So anything else is, you know, that's pretty cool. Star-studded cast, though. Okay. Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Annette Benning. Right. Danny DeVito, Jack Black, Lisa Marie, Glenn Close, Pierce Brosnan, Michael J. Fox, Sarah Jessica Parker, Natalie Portman, Martin Short. And I'm stopping there because I don't want to continue to bore you, but that is a massive <laughs> cast. Mid-90s stars do bore me. Thank you for right. recognizing. Right. I was about to fall asleep. Sarah Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you know, I think that was one of the big things that I remember actually this film from this film was like how many freaking notable stars there were in it I remember and the ack, 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 ack. i don't know why but i still continue to see memes with that and, and that didn't show up at all in the book which is um, i mean i assume that's a movie thing i don't know about uh no if that's idea. been around prior to but you know mars attacks has been around since the 60s you mentioned wally wood yeah mars attacks i'm just hopping onto the wiki here a trading card set yep. released in 1962 by tops that's how long it's been around. And yeah, some of these cards, uh, I'd love them. Yeah. Particularly for the time, like there's like ants, like chopping people in half and shit. And like, you know what I mean? And, and you know, you got to keep in mind, non-sports trading cards weren't a big thing at this time. So like, they just put this out there. In fact, sports trading cards that weren't baseball cards weren't really a thing at this time. In fact, cards that weren't tops cards weren't really <laughs> a thing at this time. There are a yeah. few Bowman existed prior, but it's mostly tops. And so, like, they just put this fucking out there right next to, like, the 1962 Topps baseball card set. And they probably both cost a goddamn nickel. And, like, if you're a parent, you're probably like, oh, well, I got you some cards. This is different. And then your kid has a fucking heart attack because ants eat people, as it turns out. <laughs> if they're big. I mean, the normal ants, you know, it takes them a while. You need a lot of them a person but the giant I'm, ones they just want one oh yeah that's, that's they'll snap you in half i remember like unless in you the, have a honey uh, uh an oatmeal cream pie like in honey i shrunk the kids <laughs> then you have kids. something to bargain with uh i remember like in the late 80s early 90s they started kind of having a resurgence of not mars attacks but more along the lines of like really <laughs> 
custom kind of cards. Garbage Bell Kids. Garbage Bell Kids is probably the precursor to that. And then right. before that, there's a there's a weird thing where it's I can't remember what it's called like it's about products and instead of like you know like frosted flakes, uh, it would be wacky like packages. Yeah, wacky, wacky packages. packages. That's it. That's it. So like I think those are the things that start to and also a proliferation of non sports cards in like 1990. You could get non sports cards uh, from everything from like comic images like a Jim Lee set that was specialty only in a comic book store to Desert Storm trading Desert cards Storm. like in a grocery was store. At the auction, so. and there were two unopened boxes of Desert Storm uh, cards there. <laughs> Pro set and there was another one. I saw some the other day when we went to the comic book store for my birthday. Some unopened wax packs and I'm like, I'm not good. I'm not paying for first hand, let alone second hand propaganda. <laughs> Oh, but when I was a kid, I wanted them bad. But like, I was like, oh, oh yeah, God. oh yeah. It's weird to think. It's so oh, weird yes, to think about. True. Like you're like, oh, like regardless of how you feel about the war, like should we have trading cards for wars? Like actively, you can make an argument. Like thirty years later, forty years later, as like a historical thing. But like, it, this seems weird. It's, we should have yeah. been more on top of it. Operation, I think it was uh, one of the one of the sets was called Operation Yellow Ribbon or something like that. And yeah, it's definitely it was a strange time. Strange time but let's get back you know we'll get back to the comic here let's talk about mars attacks jesse yeah mars attacks the image universe mars attacks image and like i said i'm gonna i'm gonna put the synopsis in here we're gonna break this up two issues a piece i mean it is as it says the martians are upset they're worried we're gonna show up on mars and like conquer mars or something so they decide a preemptive strike and send a bunch of martians to attack the earth and they do a darn good job of it i mean we are hurting we'll put it that way and our only you know real line of defense aside from what's left of the military is the image superheroes that and some of the supervillains coming together to just try and stave off this martian attack from the human race or against the human race uh you know dean i i mean i've got my notes here i'll I, I want you to go ahead and go first on these first two issues. Just kind of tell me what you thought of the story itself uh, as we get into the first two issues. Any standout moments, and uh, we'll kind of go from there. The, the standout moment, I think, of issue number one, honestly, is where you see Youngblood get killed. Like, this is how they, like, canonically get Youngblood out of image. And, like, you see, like, Youngblood's headquarters. Maybe you shouldn't have put all those goddamn whys on your uh, stuff, <laughs> because, like, bullseyes for these Martians. Uh, and uh, also, you see the uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for just, like, half a second. Right. Like we're in a panel. the panel next to it. So that I like, I, I, I enjoy that, but it was really neat that like, this is around the time where Rob Liefeld got fired from image or quit, depending on who you ask, they were having a meeting to fire him. They were going to fire him. He sent a faction that said he quit. So as far as he's concerned, he quit. They think they fired him. That's something for them to sort out. I mean, let's be honest though. They weren't giving him a chance to resign. You know, like in a, in a lot of cases, they'll be like, hey, we're going to fire you or you can quit. That was not something that was put on the table if memory serves. It possibly wasn't. I forgot. But if memory serves, it wasn't. Um, so I do like that. that This was a neat way to get the uh, the Youngblood crew out of the uh, Mar- out of the Image universe, not the Marvel universe. So Image has seven founding partners, but they're all they, – well – there are six founding studios and they all technically don't have to refer to one another though. For the first couple of years they do. Um, the only creator who ever refers to this story again, numerous times is, is Eric Larson, who's cited as the editor for some reason on these four issues. It's, it's clearly his story. You know, the Savage Dragon's a big deal. 
there was a there was a sister series to this that we didn't read for this called Mars Attacks the Savage Dragon. Like this this is clearly Larson's baby. Um and I, I've read almost all of Savage Dragon and, and yeah, you know, continuity is very important for him. He would go on to Shepard like Invincible showing up and other characters showing up. But yeah, I, I think as far as Eric Larson and the Savage Dragon were concerned, you know, young blood yes. and any characters created by Rob Liefeld. They died when Mars attacked. That was something I was going to say too. Like, obviously, this is this is an Eric Larson show. The Savage Dragon, Super Patriot, uh, Mighty Man are all like you know you know front and central to this. But like everybody else takes the losses. Like when uh, when you see later on in the end when they when they tally it up, like uh, Youngblood dies, which you know you get. Rob Liefeld's not going to play in the sandbox anymore. But it's also the Pact, who I don't remember seeing. I've tried to read the Pact a few times, and for whatever reason, haven't ever gotten through it. And U.S. Mail, they're Valentino guys. Like, hey, Larson, you know, I mean, maybe if this is your baby, maybe one of your. Well, I guess, I guess the, I guess what happens to uh, Libby is really, really bad. But she's like one of your characters should have died. But, um, but anyhow, neither here nor there. I like the premise a lot. Right. I think it's really fun. I like the way the Mars Attacks guys look. I like the idea of them, you know, getting the drop on image, even though they take out Stormwatch like super easy. Boom. Like that. You know, not a, um, I'm not a fan I don't of that. I don't to know what Stormwatch fair. was at this point, though, because, like, this may be right around Stormwatch Aliens when it wasn't what it was. Like, I've read the first, like, 30 issues of Stormwatch, and it's a very much more powerful, UN-backed, full of money and tech Stormwatch than I think it ends up. So it could be, you know, Derry, do you know more about where Stormwatch would have been in a Yeah, no, I'm a huge Stormwatch fan. Yeah, it's funny, too, because the the, the space station they have is called Skywatch. Yeah, Skywatch. But a, a main uh, through line in their entire story is that the, the thing never the fucking works. thing just crashes and gets shot down. And it <laughs> yeah, it, it does. It never it never works because the whole idea is like it's 1992. The United Nations got together and was like, we have you know, let's say three dozen superheroes from all of our member nations. And we right. want to be able to send them wherever else. So we need a we need a teleporter. That's what Skywatch is. Skywatch is the satellite that allows them to teleport anywhere all over the world. It's not it's not a star destroyer. It, it's not fighting off. It wasn't invented for that. You know they know aliens exist, but you got to remember that in the in the Image universe, the first couple of years, the only real aliens were the wildcats and they had been stuck here since ancient greece so right. like skywatch is pointed towards earth you know it's in geosynchronous orbit above the u.n well, i guess they're supreme too yeah right no i i don't mean to say that there's no yeah. other aliens there's obviously dozens of other aliens right, i'm right, just right. saying that like you know the main influences the sure sure like they're like like combat and photon are in young blood but they don't start messing with their guys until later yeah, yeah cougars people don't invade earth until alan moore takes over 10 years later so well, I don't blame them either. <laughs> but yeah, but Skywatch being taken out in like what almost amounts to an off-panel thing is, is very in keeping with Stormwatch. Right. I'm of, more into like like when I watch when I read, read Stormwatch, like the early Stormwatch, Skywatch doesn't get taken down, I think, until like issue 12 or 13 or so. And early on, they're just badass. Here is Jackson King walking around. He has muscles, he has guns, he has a helmet. Yeah. You know, half the helmet. Great. You know, it's open. Yeah, half here. the helmet, right, right. Well, he's got a psionic blast people yeah. too. Yeah, that's he's right. Not capable. You know, then you've got like Fuji and Hellstrike and uh Cannon and Diva, and they just look cool and they do cool yeah. shit. Fahrenheit. And, like, and, like, 
my favorite. Fahrenheit, yeah, Fahrenheit rules, right? Uh, winter, winter also. Oh pretty yeah, cool. right. Um, uh, you know, I mean, so so I just think that at this point in Stormwatch, because again, like I've read the first twenty five or thirty issues, and where I where I left off, and I didn't leave off for any particular reason. Just sometimes I start reading something, I just read it till I'm tired of it. Where I left off, it was changing more into a less powered version of Stormwatch, which would eventually just get massacred by the aliens, right? The, uh, yeah, the well, sort of. I mean, Warren Ellis was told this book isn't selling, but we really enjoy it. And he's like, oh, well, it would be nice if I could make you guys some money. So he came up with the authority. Right. How do I get from this book that is backed by the New World Order to the authority, which is going to be, you know, my 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 postmodern masterpiece? And the the answer was, well, we have the aliens license for right. Something. What do you want to do? And it's like, well, can I actually have them kill all the characters I'm not going to use? And Jim Lee being Jim Lee was like, yeah, fine. I already sold the whole thing to Time Warner. Go go to town. Yeah, yeah, that's the Stormwatch aliens crossover. Uh, as far as the, I like the part where like. Savage Dragon like backhands a fucking like uh, Mar- Martian and just kills him. It's like it, it makes a noise like brat. I think it's the sound effect. And like honestly, everything, almost everything in these four issues is just worth that moment. It, it, they mentioned in the first issue too that the vicious circles uh, is going to help out. They're notorious Savage Dragon villains. I'm a big fan of that trope in these situations where like oh like uh, in DC's invasion a lot of the villains help during the crisis the bill you know several of the villains worked with the heroes like listen you know I'm not going to be able to you know there's no Chicago to take over if I'm like if the Martians blow it all up I think my only real issue here is just like, and, and I'll say this for the whole thing until maybe issue four, man, there's just a lot of standing around. Other than Shadowhawk and Spawn, most of these guys just sort of stand around. And like, it's also weird to see like Striker of Cyberforce, Jesse's favorite, Jesse's absolute favorite. So he's finally getting to talk about Cyberforce officially. <laughs> I don't have to force it in the way I force in the guy from Madison Square Garden with the knife. <laughs> that guy can force his way anywhere. He's got a knife. He can use it as a weapon oh, if he wanted. He can get in there. Please, Anyhow. any creator out there, just do us a favor and do a four-issue series on that guy. That's right, all right, we want, right. you know? Alan Moore, Bill Sinkiewicz, <laughs> another one of Jesse's friends. Yes. The big oh, yes. team reunited. <laughs> If I had unlimited money, I would make the big numbers team do a spin-off comic of that guy from Carnage. Just because that I guy feel like just just that guy. I don't want you to finish big numbers, possibly the greatest comic book of all time. I just want you to do a comic <laughs> about this random guy. I will pay you whatever you want. And considering Alan Moore once did Spawn Wildcats and I don't even know what Sienkiewicz is currently doing. I feel like they would be up for it. I feel like I could write them that check. Yeah, I mean, listen, Ted DiBiase said it best. Everybody's got a price. There's a number. You know, and I mean, even Alan Moore, and in Alan Moore's case, you'd probably be like, listen, I'll donate money to the Anarchist Magicians Foundation (laughs) or whatever, like, charity (laughs) that he likes. That's the way you would get him, right? You know, I mean, you're not going to pay him. He's got higher standards than that. Right. So, uh, God damn it, I forgot what the fuck I was talking about, John. Uh, you know, like, I, 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 am, I am making that. I'm making that website. Magicians, <laughs> the second we're done recording. It yeah. needs to be a prequel, okay? I want the last page, him going into the concerts. <laughs> oh, 
I want there to be additional material for an, a role playing game like Watchmen, and that's the only canonical <laughs> stuff there is. Like that's it. Um, I remember now, uh, Cyberforce and a lot of guys who operate outside the law seem to be pretty chummy with the soldiers and cops in this, which is pretty interesting. I was so excited for this comic because I was like, I love Image, but I like crossovers. You know, when is Image going to give me the Infinity Gauntlet? And I saw a bunch of flying saucers. And you got this. I, listen, this is 1996, 1997. Independence Day had just come out, right? Fair, fair enough, fair enough. Fair you know, enough, I'm, I'm a teenager. You're telling me a bunch of, of, of superheroes that I like. Yeah. No, no, we're gonna sure. fight aliens. Why? I'll drop one ninety five for that. Listen, these things came with posters in the middle too. I, I was that's I true, was, and the posters do look really good. They're nice. Yeah, yeah they're vintage. If you, again, I'm an Eric Larson fan. If you're not an Eric Larson fan, you're probably not gonna enjoy these issues. But if you're an Eric Larson fan, you get four good posters. So that's it's not a bad time. I'm weird. Like I'm not a huge Eric Larson fan. I don't dislike it. I, I get why people do like it. It's just never quite clicked for me when I read the actual work. But I love his posters, like the cards he's drawn, the posters and stuff. Like, I love that stuff. But in his, like, actual comic book work, like, you know, chronological storytelling, for whatever reason, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't come across to me. One guy I'm not lukewarm on, and that's Eric Larson. I, I enjoy Enjoy. Right. I enjoy me some Eric yeah. Larson. I'll but, drink the lukewarm tea for Eric Larson. I, <laughs> no, for uh, real. I just, uh, I, it just, it doesn't click for me. It's one of those things like I can tell it's good, but it just, it just, it's not for me. You know, I but think, the posters are great. I think for Larson, for me, it comes down to I knew I liked his stuff before I had ever uh, really studied Kirby. But once you study Kirby, I can't see anything else from Larson. Yeah. You know, there's that there's that energy. The characters have to constantly be moving. But at the same time, you know, Larson only does the one comic. He he just does Savage Dragon. As far as I know, it still comes out. So yeah. to your to your point, it's not always of the highest quality, but I, I still like it because I've been reading it for so long. And at this point I know what he's I know what he's going for. So I think I give him a lot of leeway. I, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on the show before, but literally the first comic I have, I ever read that I received that started this whole thing was an Eric Larson Amazing Spider-Man comic. So the man, so we have him to blame. Yeah, exactly. The man, the man holds a special place in my heart, and uh, you know, assuming he hasn't committed some terrible crime, uh, I, I, he'll always be on the top shelf for me. But uh, I, I actually, I wish he had drawn more of this series. Like, I don't know if he drew the Savage Dragon, Mars Attacks Savage Dragon, but man, if he had drawn these four issues, I feel like they would have aged better. Honestly, our, Eric Larson for me. I will never dislike him as a person, though, because he's very principled and believes everything he says and is not and is willing to defend it, even if even if you don't agree or whatever. But also that he loves Nova. And I love Nova. I think Nova's wow. like the best. It's cool as fuck. Got a cool fucking helmet. I like that's probably my favorite Eric Larson stuff is the Nova series he did in the late 90s. Yeah, yeah, when yeah. He was working back for Marvel again, too. That his defenders I actually really like his defenders. His defenders run is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Him yeah. and uh, Busiak. Um, Busiak, yeah. So those, you know, it's funny. I'm like, I love, uh, I like Eric Larson as long as he's not doing his, you know, prized character, <laughs> the Savage Dragon. Um, also, like, with the Savage Dragon, I always call him the Savage Dragon, but is that like my friend Matthew Price, who I always re refer to as Matthew Price? First and like, last is, name Should only. I just call him Dragon? <laughs> but I always call him the Savage Dragon. Yeah, I call him, I call him Officer Dragon. I mean, that's yeah. technically his name in the comics, but. 
Yeah, to to your point, I mean, and they even said this on the animated series, like, no one ever calls him that. His legal name is just Dragon for some reason. Mars Attacks the Savage Dragon. That is actually a Topps comic. Oh. ah. That came out December of 96 as well. Exact same time. Ah. Penciled by, and now I've never heard this name, so Derek, you may have, Claude St. Aubin? No. No, All right, no. uh, me either. Oh, you no. don't know my boy Claude. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> but but Mars Attacks image definitely has the feel of like a rush job, and I don't mean to say that anyone turned in less than one hundred percent of the effort. That is not what I mean. I just mean that this comic it skips around a lot. I don't know how familiar Giffen was with literally dozens of relatively new characters. Right. Um, That's what I meant by saying Cyberforce seemed really chummy. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, for being a paramilitary group that's, like, painted as terrorists, like, in my cyberneta. Yeah, Lord Emp is in the White House for some reason. Like, like there's a lot going on. He's on the phone with Bill Clinton. Yeah, yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird book. But again, it's it's not bad, because one of the things Giffen does, and I was going to mention this later, but I'll I'll insert it here, is, you know, you, you mentioned... DC's invasion. This yeah. thing is almost a photocopy of that, but that's not bad. That's not a slight. I love that story. I think that's one of the best crossovers DC's ever done, but it's got I, the same general premise where in that comic, for those of you who haven't read it, the Tanagarians, the Hawkmen, and a bunch of other races who were less popular, they decide to all attack Earth at the same time for the same reason. The superhuman population is getting to critical mass, and they're worried what's going to happen once we get interstellar travel. Same way here, it ends with us having more superhumans than when we started. But Giffen was involved with that. I think I think uh, Giffen worked with Bill Mantlo on that, and a lot of this he did. Yeah, was, yeah, exactly. Last word. Yeah, exactly. And 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 Mantlo, you know, is a treasure in superhero comics. But Mars Attacks Image has a lot of the same beats, and it just has that feeling of, hey, listen, this needs to get out. This Tim Burton movie will have either been in theaters or, or quickly be on home media. All the image partners are fighting with each other. Please get this thing out as quickly as possible. But but again, I, I really do feel like that doesn't take away from anything because, because you know, Dean, you mentioned a lot of characters standing around. This comic is clearly a cap, like a bunch of cameos, like which plate is in it for one scene for some reason. And all she does is direct the characters towards somewhere in New York that you think is safe. Um, Times Square. Yeah, right. Times Square, the, the, the least defensible place on the entire island, Times Square, which is completely open, which has streets everywhere, which, yeah. like, it, literally, I'm no military giant, strategist. Uh, giant, but. like, a uh, debris that could fall at any time if, like, you just shot it. Like, oh, man, there's only 93, uh, you know, 400-inch TVs up there to fall on. Literally so. the there is a worst place. Though, so at least you have some food. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You're not going to run out of food. But um, the, the only other thing I'll go back to is, is these first two issues and, and the standing around thing. One of my favorite crossovers is, is Final Crisis from uh, DC. And, uh, oh, so you're the one. I, I am. I am the one person. And no one else I know likes that series, but it, it, it's me. Graham Morrison always talks about the fact that the story jumps around a lot, and that was intentional. 
because when you have this many characters and this much action, you can't focus on one for too long. You want to see everything else and your brain kind of fills in the gaps. Like when you're switching channels on a TV or you used to back in the day, we're all old. Um, and I get a similar feeling here, but I like it because Giffen doesn't focus on any one character for too long. He jumps around and as a result, you get to see different perspectives of the entire battle. So when you get the real like, you know, pumped up President Pullman speech at the end where it's like, oh, hey, we're going to fight the invaders off. You almost buy it because he's tricked you into knowing all the different characters, even though you didn't spend a lot of time with them. Or at least it worked on 12 year old. <laughs> well, see, that's my, you know, going back to what you said about it being like invasion. That's part of my problem with it is like, and I do think it hits a lot of the same notes and I do think it feels very similar. But it's like the kids' bop version of, of Invasion. It's not quite there. It just doesn't quite land the same way it did. I think my big problem with the guys standing around, and I guess they were going for this, like you said, in more of a movie since not unlike Independence Day. But they're, but I'm used to superhero crossovers where been, at the end, like they're all together. Here's Wetworks and Wildstar and Cyberforce, and they're all shoulder to shoulder. Like at the end of uh, Endgame, where like they're all fighting against the same guys, and they're all finally in the same place doing this, you know. And I and without that, and it doesn't have that. It has. Like you said, you see all the pockets of stuff, you know, where these people are fighting. Um, without that, it doesn't uh, it doesn't land for me. And maybe I'm just basic. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm like, this, this, this doesn't uh, use the normal trope, you know. But like, I just I wanted that. This made me want that. And I feel like I didn't quite get it. I agree. I agree with you. But I think there's a reason for that because I I agree. I wanted that. I think this idea of the image universe it doesn't exist, right? <laughs> So you think there's a meta reason for this? There's a meta, yeah, exactly. Okay. There's right. there's a meta reason behind this. Like this idea of the image universe that I wanted and you guys wanted, it doesn't exist because right. at the end of the day, the whole point of image is the company only owns that logo. Everyone owns their own thing, and we see that here when you know his closest friends decide to murder Young Blood. Like they could have very easily just not acknowledged the character, but this is a kind of pretty petty thing to do to a guy you used to work with and from everything i've read was pretty instrumental in forming your your cool company but like this this idea they broke bread together yeah yeah they did a lot of stuff together and whether or not i think rob liefeld is a good creator or a good person or whatever else i mean you know that's beside the point like that's a pretty petty thing to do you could have just not acknowledged him but this idea of the image universe doesn't it doesn't really exist right because i'll give you a perfect example I'm a huge Spawn fan, and this book came out, uh, this book, issue four, comes out in 1997. 1997 would see the release of the Spawn movie, and for that movie, they had to replace the young blood Rob Liefeld character of Chapel with Jessica Priest. You know, Chapel becomes Priest, a brand new character, because they no longer had access to the Rob Liefeld stuff. And it's this idea that, like, to contrast with the Marvel Universe that would come later when it was adapted to screen, everything in the Image Universe is owned by a separate person. Right. So Mars Attacks Image can never have that, that great, good moment, because most of these characters... They're never going to interact again. You know, Witchblade's never going to hang out with Cyberforce again. It's just maybe it's. Well, Witchblade could. Sylvester owns both of them, right? That's <laughs> a bad example. Uh Oh, excuse me. I, not Cyber Four. I meant I meant what worked. You're you are you are absolutely right. I've actually got a bunch of comics yeah. where uh, Witchblade, the Darkness, and Ripclaw all hang out. So I I do Good. apologize. Good. For that. That's the the triumvirate we've all been fucking waiting. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> the um, Darkness is the best comic of all time, people. I'm just saying. 
I think it makes you, you say that all the time. Like, you're like, Tim Crucible is the best comic book of all time. I do. I say that all the time. Best comic book of all time. Slapstick, best comic of all time. Slapstick. Slapstick. Flair. Flair from Heroic Comics, best comic of all time. Team Anarchy, Dagger Comics, best comic of all time. That's Derek. No, he's, you're not as bad as all that. But uh, Slapstick is great. You're just, slapstick is a good, a good comic. Really great stuff. Yeah, I think that that's a really awesome postmodern way to interpret this clash of intellectual property. But for me, I wanted Wetworks to stand side by side with Witchblade, whether they ever would again. And, like, I wanted Impact to throw the match into, like, a fucking, you know, yes. flying saucer. And this just doesn't happen. I will say that, like, you do get to see a lot of people do some cool stuff. Um, I like the Mighty Man story, which is where, like, Mighty Man is actually, it's a take on the Captain Marvel Shazam. And, like, Mighty Man is actually a lady who's a nurse. And she's like, I got to nurse these people. And I understand why she would be conflicted there. But ultimately, Barbaric and... uh Ricochet. With Barbaric Ricochet, Ricochet. they chose to make the right choice, get you know, them to make the right choice, and they turn into Mighty Man. And then, honestly, the way they portray it, if Mighty Man just had another 20 minutes, he'd have ended the whole fucking thing himself. Yeah. And I really yeah. like that. It's a great treatment of uh, uh, one of my favorite pastiches of all time. Uh, I like the Mighty Man costume. I like the way, uh, I like how seriously, um, like, when Mighty Man shows up, like, the world kind of almost stops. It's like, oh, and like, and just just flying like literally through saucers and great great uh great moments uh super patriot doesn't he get elected to lead the heroes in the first two issues does that happen in issue two uh, i think that's that's issue three yeah, i think that happens in the back half because that's like the big climax thing right. you know, where it's where yeah it's you like, start you open issue three and they're and super patriots like you want me to what right okay what do you remember, mean i couldn't remember exactly because again like i don't like i'm not reading physically you know it kind of runs together so that's all i can really remember from issue one or two i'll be interested to hear your notes and i will cut y'all off when i'm ready to talk well so, that's whatever fine. you're saying yeah so that's go ahead Chase. Fine. All right. So another uh, thing you, I wanted to say was I'll cut this. So yeah, I've got a, a few notes, stuff that kind of ties in with what you're saying. So I won't I won't belabor all that stuff again. But I, we didn't mention how uh, Grunge is an idiot. I didn't realize that he was that stupid. I forgot about that. <laughs> I forgot about that. Forgot about that one there, buddy. Like he is an man. idiot. Just right, a, you know. Oh, this is on all the channels. It must be fake. <laughs> like, Sorry, grunge. Like you don't have to be the genius that Fairchild is, you know, to, to know that this might be real. Right. Also, right. I think Gen Thirteen might get treated like the best of anybody who's not an Eric Larson uh, 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 property here. Uh, although Spawn looks pretty good, blowing shit up with a howitzer. I will say he's he the, uh, he actually did a save at one nail. point too. Right. <laughs> What's that? He does a save at one point too. I mean, he, right. he, he, I mean, yeah. So Spawn gets definitely some good treatment here. Grunge does not. I mean, unless he's that, I didn't, I've read some gen, gen 13 comics, but is that how he is portrayed all the time? Is yeah. that much of an idiot? He, the idea is that the the six of uh, the five of them are they're teenagers, right? So they're all teenagers, and they they each take one stereotype teenage attribute and they bring it to eleven. And grunge is 
I'm 15, 16 years old. I'm thinking about one thing. It's not what's going on in the rest of the world. Got it. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I actually, I, I agree. I, I think Gen 13 was done particularly well, uh, whether it's just because it's easy to write super powered uh, teenagers or what, I don't know, but I, I thought they did pretty well. Light later on free fall, Ruins a flying saucer by that's just a really funny on. moment. Yeah, by randomly and, just and typing on. gets the right wing propaganda going. She's like, "You should speak English if you're here, lady." <laughs> yeah, what was that? I had a note about that. That was yeah. rough. Yeah, I was expecting that. I guess she's like an entitled woman. I did, like never really thought of her character that way, but uh, I don't I guess think that 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 statement was sadly much less controversial at the time. Oh, that's interesting. You know, this is well, this is a time when Rush Limbaugh is on TV and syndicated TV in lots of markets, and there's not really been a big cultural pushback on that yet. So, like, this was, I mean, growing up in Arkansas, y'all grew up somewhere different, but like, this was not an uncommon sentiment to hear, and people did not push back on it. And sadly, it is, it is a sentiment that I would have made as a, as a, yeah. an ignorant young man, dumber than grunge in many ways. Um, oh. uh, you know, but <laughs> okay, let me ask you this. You said they're all one of these, like, Teenage stereotypes pushed to eleven. So what's what's Fairchild like? Because she does it all, right? Like, is she just the prom queen? Well, well, no, 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 no. It's it's the opposite. Fairchild is to to the point we were talking about before. Fairchild is is Captain Marvel, right? Because Fairchild's origin is she's very smart and she's very shy and she's very self conscious, yeah. and then you know she gets gen right. activated and she turns into into Wonder Woman. She turns into being right. the strongest, most durable superhero in the Wildstorm universe. And I, I think that's a really interesting attribute because her defining characteristics are still she's smarter than everyone else. She's the team leader, which yeah. you know was. Or rarity at the time, but also she's, you know, she's a nerd. And I mean that in the but classic. That, 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 that's what I'm trying to get at. I don't mean prom queen, like, you know, like just that, but like when I was, when I went to school, our prom queen was like also finished third in the class, was the captain of the uh, basketball team, you know, also the, you know, one of the prettiest ladies, you know, young ladies in the school. So I thought it was more like that. But, like, we're talking about grunge. You're like, okay, he's the stoner guy from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yeah. What's, what's Fairchild? Um, because she kind of defies it now because she's super hot, super cool, super smart. That's what I was like. Well, but she's but she's still she's still self-conscious. Okay, like that's, there you to go. Me, that's what I was yeah, to, to me, the defining characteristic of Fairchild isn't all those things you just listed because it it's still the fact that she's self-conscious. There's a okay. great storyline once they're bought once while so she is the epitome of teenage insecurity yes that's okay. that's what i would say her defining characteristic okay. is she woke up one day to look like wonder woman with red hair but she would still say okay yes but what if everyone is talking about me when i'm not there what if i'm not good enough what if i get abandoned by my teammates and everyone else and so she overcompensates for that yeah i, right. I would say okay her arc, her arc is that she has everything you you would think she would want, but she is still incredibly insecure about that because she's the smartest person in the room 99 times out of 100. Yeah, no, I'm just asking because I haven't read a lot of Gen 13, and I, I can see what you're saying from appearance's sake, but I you couldn't you couldn't figure that out if you just looked at like a J. Scott Campbell pin up. No, and by <laughs> the way, I'm I'm not. I, I, you couldn't figure this out if you actually read these things. I, I have read 
almost every Wildstorm comic ever published, most of them are terrible. <laughs> um, and a lot of a lot of this comes later. A lot More of like Shitstorm, am I right? I listen. I love I love Wildstorm. <laughs> Other than Marvel, it's probably my favorite consistent publishing company. But uh, a lot of this stuff is very bad. The the Gen thirteen characters lucked out because they became super popular immediately because of how great. At the time, J. Scott Campbell was and how popular he was, but the characters didn't get a lot of development, but they worked into the continuity and they would show up other places. Fairchild would have this great crossover with uh, Superman. Uh, once. Yeah, 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 that's, that is good. Yeah, and I, I always tell I always tell people, I'm like, listen, DC does very little with Wildstorm. I, I know they love the Midnighter and Apollo and those characters are great. Honestly, throw Fairchild on the Justice League. I, she checks so many boxes. She'd be a great addition to that, and you get a nice bit of 90s nostalgia. Ooh. At least Teen Titans. Oh, yeah, oh. fine, great. I, I, yeah, I, 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 I mean, like, no, no, no. I mean, I think Justice League, what you're saying is true there, but, like, yeah. you know, if you're like, well, she's not quite Justice League ready. What's she ready for Teen Titans? You want to bring back Young Justice? Oh. Call it Gin Justice. <sighs> If you Gen told Justice. me the former leader of Gen 13 were leading Young Justice, that gets added to my pull list. I don't care who's writing or drawing it. That's beautiful. Wow. Well, unlucky you, that's coming out, and it's me doing both. <laughs> uh, I did have down here, just to, again, support your point, Dean, Dragon is a hard ass throughout this whole thing. <laughs> I should say that I, I think might be something that you had mentioned there earlier, Dean, about how the Martians can use like some kind of chemical or something to embiggen insects and the huge, like they spray it over New York City and all of a sudden like there's these huge insects all over the place. Rats, or not rats, ants. Roaches. Roaches, yeah. So that's that's one of their weapons. Okay. Which goes all the way back to the trading cards. That's part of the story arc of the original trading cards too. And, um, honestly, pretty, pretty horrifying. Uh, you know, I don't know. I said, I don't want to fight a giant ant. I don't want to fight a giant roach. Nope. I'll pass. But what they really should have done was like, maybe they were worried that they couldn't control them. But like, if you really wanted to horrify people and kill as many people as possible, man, you head down South and you enlarge one of those big old fucking hornet's nests and those big red wasps. (laughs) Man, they're they're terrible. Like they would they would sting you and it'll hurt for days. You make them really big, they'll fucking like I mean they would they would overrun the world in like eight minutes because that they're just bad. nasty. That's scary. Have you ever seen a big red wasp? Not a no, not a big red wasp. Look no. up a red wasp sometime and like I'm telling you, they're like they're like an inch and a half long. And That's... like a lot of it stinger. So make those Ooh. things big and they and they're really like they will follow somebody for I think like a quarter of a mile away from their nest. Ooh. They used to get into my house and I used to like practice swinging my baseball bat. And like, I knew that if I could hit one of them as they came, I was like, I'm having a good game. And you hear this nice ting. (laughs) Very horrified, by the way. I just, I just looked up red wasp and yeah, this is some, this is some kaiju looking stuff right here. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. They should have enlarged these guys. Not those giant Japanese hornets. They don't need any help. They could have just like made a few more of them and just done it. You know, ain't going to make <laughs> them bigger. Yeah. But these right. make them giant. They would have handled it. I, I'm going to be quiet in case the Martians are listening. <laughs> don't be giving them any ideas. Right. Uh, Kill Cat and Kid Avenger. They start their bungling ways here in these first two issues. Uh, My initial I, reaction, who? Yeah, yeah, I remember the Deadly Duo. I, I remember I this is a, a Larson thing, I'm pretty certain, because I remember seeing them in uh, Savage Dragon at one point. Deadly Duo number two 
Yeah, well, by Eric Larson, it looks like. Has those two guys on the front and Maul standing behind him. Look like he's going to probably mess him up pretty bad. But yeah, these guys, okay. Good, he should. Yeah, these guys are I'm idiots. sorry, these guys are a waste of time. They are idiots, and they take up, a, there's actually, I mean, a big portion of this book, actually a big portion of the uh, side plot, a big side plot of this book, is they're trying to figure out a way to disable the main, like, base in Detroit, right. if I remember correctly. So, but Kill Cat and Kid Avenger are like, I mean, idiots, complete idiots. I just think um, they take up too. Like, listen, this is Mars Attacks image. And when people who bought this, a lot of them, obviously, you know, Derry was one of them. They wanted something, you know, that I don't think they quite got. And part of it was because of the focus on these two. And maybe they focused on these two because they could control them more. But I would have replaced every panel that these guys were in with Wetworks shooting guys. <laughs> Just big fucking chain gun shooting guys. And right. I feel like that would have been better. I feel like it would have been more what people wanted. I You say image. These are like, I wouldn't have known to name the deadly duo. These would have been like, I couldn't have named it. They would have made the list. You know what I mean? So like, I just think to focus so much on these guys is, is a little misleading for the title. It feels like this should have happened in Mars Attacks the Savage Dragon. I agree that uh, having them take up so much space is a waste uh, and, and, and and not worth the time considering that you clearly had access to all these characters. I, I mean, you had the Ninja Turtles show up for a single panel. One if you had panel. access to them, I don't know why yeah. you would use more. Use um, them. But there is one. Well, that may have been all the permission they could get. You know, Gary Carl. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, Who knows? Who knows? But, um, you know, my point is you clearly had access to to better characters, to to characters who had cartoons and whatever else. And the main thrust of the the back half is five characters that no one outside of of us three are ever going to talk about ever again. You know, you had the Deadly Duo, Super Patriots, Kids, and Lab Man, who I'm sure we'll get to. Sadly. there is, there is one interesting aspect about the Deadly Duo that, that I enjoyed back in the day and enjoyed again at the reread is they're, they're almost the R2 and 3PO of the adventure, right? They are not top tier superheroes. They are not going to have an HBO cartoon based on them or a big screen movie or anything like that. They're not joining Youngblood. They are superheroes from Look, Detroit. Youngblood's dead, to be fair. No one is joining you are you are you are absolutely right there oh, no longer is the ability to join young blood or team young blood but but my point is like these two characters who are bad at being superheroes actually do save the day so if you don't know that they're pre-existing characters from a book you haven't read and aren't going to read they almost feel that like you know the droids are getting into trouble kind of vibe because in the second half of the book you know super patriot who's written to be this captain america character even says like i don't know why we're suddenly winning but we are we have to press the advantage and and you know the reveal to the reader is that well one of the deadly duo figured out how to blow up the shield generator they didn't even know was there so it's this thing of like well if i'm going to follow the ventures of anyone i'd like to be someone who is kind of low to the ground because they have the same stakes that i do so i appreciate it from that point of view but i agree with both of you a complete waste of, of pages i would have rather seen more from super patriots kids earlier because when they have the martians like you know rape libby which is what happens i don't like it i don't think you could make it worthwhile but like in a way, it's almost like that character just shows up for that to happen. If you could have had some subplots going on in one or two with those two, maybe I, you know, I, 
I, I would care more if that makes sense instead of just being like, oh, so this is what we're doing now. You're like, oh, this is terrible. This is a character I care a lot about. And you might care a lot about this character if you're reading Savage Dragon. This motherfucker wasn't. So this is, you know, so you probably should have given me more reason for that horrible event to yeah. uh, mean more than just seeming like a horrible thing to happen to a lady in a superhero story, which I don't have to tell y'all is something that like, you know, people... The creators just like to do for whatever reason for a long time. And that's how it comes across later because I don't know who she is or know much about her. I agree. And you make a really good point. Uh, Super Patriots kids are Justice and Liberty. Uh, they're characters I don't know anything about. And if they had been the primary POV characters through most of the four issues, you know, you could have given them a lot of the exposition, a lot of the other stuff. Then what happens in issue four while I do not enjoy reading that at all in the slightest, and I think it's it's unnecessary, it would have held a little bit more weight to, because, to your point, you don't really meet these characters until the very end, and you don't even know who they are. So it's I don't like, know what their powers are. Right. Yeah, now, I think that like later on, Justice like you know Ninja chops a guy. Oh yeah, heads are head flying goes, off. Heads are flying off the Martians. Uh, right. Out of that like, room. At that point, I don't. I don't know what he is other than he looks like a cross between like General Glory and Captain Dave Osborne. Yeah. Nice. Very nice. You got to take those Captain <laughs> Dave Osborne references where you can get them. Where you can get <laughs> them. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Might have been Super Dave. I can't remember. Anyhow, it doesn't matter. Y'all know who I mean. I know who you meant. And I, I'm with you. I'm with you on this journey. Weird way to end issue two, if that is the actual ending, because who knows? I don't know if we're missing a page or not. With a big close-up on Bill Clinton's eye, and then that's it. Like, <laughs> I was just like, uh, I, I mean, I understand. It's a pretty dire situation. We're getting that across. Bill Clinton is hiding in whatever the place is called, Giant something. It and, should just be NORAD. It's weird that, like, they don't know NORAD. Right, I. But regardless, Bill Clinton is sitting there. Maybe Norad to... doesn't exist in the image universe that got attacked by the Martians, where there's no longer a young blood. I I really do think that uh, um, Giffen wrote this. Keith Giffen wrote this like on his way to hand it in. So I I think he couldn't remember the word for like uh, Norad, and he was just like, "It's in Cheyenne Mountain, right? Yeah, let's do that. Let's see." That, that sounds just... good. That sounds good. He had his invasion scripts like on one knee and on the other knee, he was frantically penciling in like put character that makes sense here. Cause he had never read wet works before. I've never read wet works before. I'm not faulting him for that, but uh, so that's, that's too bad. It's a masterpiece. <laughs> it, it, I guarantee you it'd be your next favorite book. <laughs> I, I like, Wolf it would be, listen, 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 it could be cyber force for you. The way cyber force is. Yeah. Yeah. No, honestly, not a masterpiece, but like it, it looks good, and some guys have giant guns and they shoot werewolves. So, I, I if you did, like I, Wildcats, you'll like it. I know their premises aren't the same, but like as far as just wild action with good looking art, that's what it is. That's what it is. sounds good. Less covert, more action. That's all Thank the notes I, I I mentioned this before, but I really, truly love the uh, uh, insert poster for issue number two. It is drawn by Eric Larson and it features a scene that never appears in the comic. And I had this thing hanging on my wall for at least 10 years. It's uh dragon spawn, Fairchild, uh, Shadowhawk, and a, you know, maybe a few other characters. They're all in New York. Cause you see the empire state building in the background. The entire city is being destroyed by what is clearly the laser from Independence Day, and the <laughs> ships that are flying around around them do not in any way resemble the flying saucers from Mars attacks. So it's just one of these things where it's like, I don't know if Larson drew this 
before the book was finalized or after and he didn't care but the image is great and uh, everyone should get it and put it on their wall oh, I I just, but that's the thing that's the that's the moment i'm waiting for in the goddamn book that moment never happened and that's the moment i want like yeah. i want i want fucking fairchild to lift the savage dragon and throw him into like the fucking blind saucer and it just doesn't happen there is a severed hand just randomly floating at the bottom of that <laughs> In the midst, in the midst. Uh, that's, that's, I that's a young blood cameo. <laughs> oh, oh, that's rough. Uh, I had a random question. I, I don't know if you guys are going to know this. I don't know if anyone knows this. But on the very first page of issue one, when uh, the Martians are doing their exposition, they talk about an unmanned probe that arrived on Mars and made them start to consider this whole nonsense. I don't remember that being a plot point. I don't remember if that was something that they made up. Do either of you have any idea if that's ever referenced again? I didn't think it was. I don't think so. When I was reading it, I thought it was something that actually happened in real life. I thought it was a real thing. I didn't look it up, but yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Around that time, we landed some guy on Mars to take some $70,000 pictures. Oh, never mind. That makes way more sense. Yeah. Okay. But... I didn't double check that. It could, it could very well be a lie. No, 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 no. Of course. I mean, like now that I've said it out loud, it's like, yeah, that that makes sense that that would have been news at the time. Um, well, one of the things I just wanted to mention real quick is, you know, we, we mentioned Mars Attacks and, and Wally Wood. And I, I forget the name of the person who actually drew most of the original 55 Mars Attacks trading cards. But I, I just love the design work. You know, the 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 Mar the Martians themselves the Armada, the Flying Saucers, it's all very simple, it's all very iconic, and it's all very different from all the image characters who are featured here. Like, it's a really good, it's like when all the Marvel characters fight the Skrulls. Like, who's the bad guy? Well, it's the person with green skin with pointy ears, and it's the same thing here. Like, you get a really good villain that can be adapted to a lot of different things. I thought that was really well done. It's one of the reasons I liked this so much when it originally came out. I just thought like, oh, okay, great. A flying saucer is going to blow up a building with innocent people in it. So when Spawn uh, or or um, Striker shoot it down, I can feel that it really accomplished its goal. Um, the other thing I'll just mention very quickly is I have no idea why giant insects attack New York, but I love that. <laughs> I love that, that, that Spawn, who's just this creepy, eerie type of guy, you know, really the same influences as Mars Attacks itself, the old EC comics. It's just, you know what? You're not dealing with science fiction. You can't deal with science fiction. You get to deal with magic crap. And the Witchblade shows up later. She's a magic character. So I just, uh, that that tickled me. I enjoyed it. I mean, I think the reason that there's giant ants and roaches in New York City is because, again, this is something the Martians do. And I think there are just, you know, Believe it or not, lots of vermin in New York City. I know that's a shocker, but like, you know, and I honestly think that like, if you think about this from a psychological warfare perspective, if you live in a larger city, particular in like New York City, this stuff is always around you, no matter, even if you live in like the nicest penthouse. So this is almost like the personification of a very horrific fear that is real around you, that this vermin could overtake you at any time if, like, you're not careful. Well, now it doesn't matter how careful you are because they're, like, three stories tall. And Norman Saunders is the guy with Wally Wood. It's Wally Wood and Norman Saunders who did the 62 uh, card set. Oh, okay. All right. So, uh, uh, and great work, too. So let me get back to my notes here. I think that was all that I had. It's just a weird way to end the issue, too. We got close up on Bill Clinton's eye. 
but but that 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 makes a lot of sense too because that's kind of the whole like again bill sinkevich did some of this art i mean i, I don't know exactly i just wanted to ask you can we stop real quick and ask you what your thoughts are here on the art? This art's rough. I, I got to be honest with you. This, this, right. art's, this art's rough. I, I had remembered this as being totally drawn by Eric Larson, and that is not in any way the case. This, 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 art, is, uh, this art is rough. This, I mean, there's a couple of splash pages that are just focused on one person. When we get multiple people involved, it really takes a downturn. But when you like, okay, clearly I'm at the second page of issue one where you got a full page of one of the Martians pointing and directing. And that looks good. In my opinion, it, if what we're surmising is correct and they were rushing this story, I think the art looks a little rushed as well. I also think it looks like they were trying to tap into the... It's almost like an Eric Larson meets the Battle Chasers Joe Madrera. I can't pronounce the gentleman's last name. Joe Mad. Joe Mad. Joey Mad. Joey Mad. It looks like they're going for some kind of amalgamation between those styles, and I don't think they quite get there. I don't think the art is terrible, but I've certainly seen better art. Okay. I, I feel like this is one of the first times that someone, uh, whoever was drawing this book, decided I need to show Spawn in the daylight because in Spawn's own book, he almost <laughs> always goes out at night. Right. And, yeah. uh, I was reading this and I was like, why does Spawn look so different? And I realized like, oh, because he has like high contrast because he's well lit because like the reds are popping. The green of his eyes are popping the white on his mask. It's like he's running around like an actual superhero as opposed to a creature of the night. I just really appreciated that because there's so many uh, issues of his solo series where McFarlane and Capullo and others would just draw him like basically as part of the background scenery that actually seeing him here as just a straight up superhero, even if it's only for a couple of pages, was kind of rewarding because it's like, oh, yeah, that is what he would look like, you know, running alongside uh, a freak force and cyber force. Yeah, too bad he wasn't driving the spawn mobile. If only the Spawnmobile, the greatest vehicle uh, uh, in, in in image continuity. Spawnmobile. The Spawnmobile. I, I <sighs> love the, that. That series was great because Spawn had a car for some reason, but his arch enemy Violator also had a motorcycle because just God bless the 90s. God bless it. <laughs> Let me start with my notes here on issues three and four. So, yeah, we talked about Super Patriot. We opened the book with Super Patriot having an issue with leading. Some guy by the name of Jake shows up. So anybody want to shed some light on? Obviously, he's somebody that's been an antagonist to Super Patriot. But I don't know the specifics. Anybody know the specifics? Maybe if you've been reading. I've I've never read Freak Force. I've read like the first two issues a couple times. I don't know who this guy is. There's uh, definitely I, some animosity. Yeah. So Jake shows up in here for all you Jake fans from Jake. State Farm. He's very mad about it. <laughs> <laughs> Justice Liberty, the Deadly Duo, and Lab Man. Lab Man. So I want I want to know. Did you know about this guy? You know who this dude is? No, I, I knew nothing. Okay, I knew who all he right. was when I saw him. All right, tell me Once about. I it, looked Dean. at a picture of. I don't know anything other than I was like, oh, that's that. That is a magic guy. I remember seeing him on like you know some. Fox special because that's what Fox showed then. CW does it now, that Penn and Teller fool us. Well, and, and like Masters of Illusion, which is just putting ladies in boxes. That's the only trick those guys do on that show. Put a lady in a box, stab some swords, open the box. She's not there. Pull the swords out. Now she's back. He, this guy did a show on like one or, or a, a, a bit on one of those type of shows on Fox. I remember seeing him. That's it, though. I just recognized the oh, hair because you, if you if you don't think I immediately went to YouTube <laughs> and watched 
some of what Lab Man does, which looked really kooky and crazy. But I did notice that the first one I looked at was, I think, from the Fox special. This is a real person that had a comic book, Rudy Kobe. That's R-U-D-Y, and then Kobe spelled C-O-B-Y. Rudy Kobe's Lab Man. He's one of these guys that's helping out the deadly duo and Justice and Libby. Like, I, I had no idea this existed. Me neither. There are comics. This guy is an actual dude. It was so funny because when I typed in... He, like, Rudy, wrote his comics, right? So he wrote his own comics. It was weird because I type in his name and I'm trying to find the comic and this real guy shows up and he looks like the dude in the comic. And I'm like, right. what the hell is going on here? <laughs> so to find out that this guy actually exists and uh, is part of this comic. But he's played off. Of course, he was a comedian as well uh, in real life. And in this, he's pretty much a... You know, he's played off as kind of a joke and, uh, you know... He definitely belongs with the Deadly Duo, in my opinion. Why is his name Lab Man? Because he wears a lab coat. He does like weird experiments. Okay, so he looks and like that's part of his act. It. All right. It's it's complete nonsense, but it's also one of the things that the Image Universe could do that the other guys couldn't. Because Image's whole thing was like, "Hey, do you have an idea for a comic? Are you going to produce it yourself? Great, we will publish it." And uh, you know, for this random summer in 1996-1997 we will also have you fight a bunch of Martian invaders and this guy showed up and this guy was like yeah you know what why not, why not? right I mean listen I, I I can't imagine he would have Talk shown up and he, even at the improv uh, why not you know you're, you're going to do the work you're going to show up and Eric Larson was probably like yeah why not okay you might be on TV you might be a big deal let me throw you in and, and again it's like he's got one thing to do he's got to get them into the mothership he does that very well and, and then that's it it's not like we're forced to go with him there on is, a great journey they are wondering if he is trying to run off at one point but he's like no no I'm trying to find a, a way out for all of us and uh, but yeah he gets them in there and he tries to get them out according to him uh, he yeah. does eventually get them out it takes him a little bit but like when they escape yeah. their cell it's because he figured out how to do it okay yeah. you know, it go lap, man. he says there's a line where they're like yeah, it took you long enough he's like it's Martian technology <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I gotta be on his side about that. Like he didn't yeah. have an Apple computer like Jeff Goldblum did in Independence Day, which would somehow effortlessly interface with this. Oh, yeah. He was he all he had was his hair, his dream, yeah. and a joke. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the best part about the Image Universe is like anyone who even thinks they could be a superhero, they get at least one shot. You know, you know, it's. Uh, the, the the barrier to entry is very low and I, I'm I'm about it. And also the stakes are real because a bunch of people in this comic get murdered. You know, maybe none yeah. of our key characters. This is not the entire No more key characters, just young blood. Right. I mean, yeah, I guess in the context of the story they are killed, but it's not like you have Shaft valiantly bringing down nope. a Martian saucer with his right. stringless right. bow. Just a, um, a, a discarded young blood air conditioner apparently laying in the in the background. <laughs> <laughs> it's so total too like they don't only show Youngblood being killed off panel right, in the first dude. issue they make a point of having a character look directly at the reader of the fourth issue and say Youngblood is dead Rob Liefeld is no longer welcome and it, like I almost expected someone to list all the characters that were in that building just so you you know Supreme Battlestone they were all in that building they were all killed by Martian invaders they will never appear in an image comic again. Go find awesome. Leave me alone. Well, listen, 
Listen, we only know Youngblood's dead. Brigade, Brigade, Blood's oh. apparently made it out. Yeah. Supreme could be around. You know, there's actually a little bit of continuity that helps uh, correct that. When Alan Moore takes over writing Supreme, he introduces the supremacy. Right. And he says that every, it's basically the earliest version or an earlier version of the Spider-Verse where it's like, okay, every version of the character exists and sometimes they hang out with each other. I'm a hundred percent sure that somewhere in the background of that, there is the like hard ass, incredibly powerful, takes no crap, early nineties version of Supreme who was like, yeah, I blew up a bunch of flying saucers and then I decided to forget those guys. And I just came here. So without actually, doubt, sure yeah, and supremacy, like they wind up like Eric Larson redoes, does Supreme. Oh, yeah. Right. And, like he actually, the early nineties Supreme is like in there and they let him out and he depowers the rest of the supremacy. And, and, uh, and it's fine. Yeah. Obviously, I prefer Alan Moore's version, but that's like being like, you know what? I would rather have, you know, a New York strip at Morton's instead of the Waffle House. You know yeah. what I mean? You know, it's like, what do you, you know, I it's love the fine. Waffle House. It's know. fine. No, that's, that's a really good example. Yeah. It's like, listen, sometimes I just want to read an issue of Savage Dragon. Other times I need a little bit of V for Vendetta. It's, 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 what do you, what do you feel like? What do you feel like sinking your teeth into? Dean, what do you what do you think about issues uh, issue four's cover? This is the one where Justice yeah, is holding Justice, Libby. Justice and Justice and Liberty. It it appears to be the um uh, an homage to the Supergirl Superman, right? Like the crisis, like this is crisis on Earth image, as it were. I like Maul, and he's on it. <laughs> That's really funny to say, but like <laughs> where, I like where's him. He's my Cyber Force guy? There's some more guys standing around. So do what? Impact back here. Right. The Capitol's burning, which is interesting because in issue four, U.S. mail dies protecting the U.S. Constitution, which is, uh, I guess it's it's supposed to be poetic, but I'm so jaded now. I'm like, why did the Martians want it? It's just a goddamn piece of paper to them, right? Like, what do they care? Like, you know, I mean, like, was this like a moral victory? But U.S. mail dies being a, a U.S. mail, I guess. You definitely feel it, though, a little bit. Super Patriot, or I think, who is it? It's uh, Backlash that discovers him, right? Yeah, back, Backlash. And, um, uh, and he's like, oh, like, I can't believe Bodies everywhere. Bodies right. everywhere and finds him back there. What's he? Oh, man. The U.S. mail. <laughs> he just killed 93 Martians. But, like, <laughs> why didn't he leave with it? I would have left with it. I would have found something else. He but I like, I like the Capitol burning on there because it evokes that image. Obviously, it, it's trying to play, like I said, it's playing on that Supergirl, Superman, George Perez image. And it's supposed to, you know, we're all supposed to feel, you know, this uh, tremendous sense of loss, which I would have had I known any more about Liberty. <laughs> As it is, I think it's a good cover. I think it's very representative of what happens in the issue. I would buy that at a dollar bin on the cover okay. alone. All right. Buy that. I like no. it. I like it. So I would have bought it off the shelf because it was number four. If the other three weren't there, I'm like, I'm not hopping into this. I hear that. Oh, so my next note is, oh man, poor Liberty. Oh so, Jesus! The Martians capture Kill Cat. Well, the Deadly Duo, Justice, Liberty, and Lab Man. We already kind of talked about that, but they take Liberty off and Justice is like, as they're trying to escape, he's trying to find out where she's at. And then he finally finds her. But what he finds is that she has been subject to some Martian experiments 
they make it very clear that that the, she is just raped again and again. This is not ambivalent. At one point, they're talking about like, can't believe these volunteers coming in here for this bestiality. You know, the real alien stories. A lot of people say they're probed. They get like, you know, uh, sexually explored, etc. That's a common thing. I think this is it. I think it makes sense within that context. But it's really just a horrific scene that you know the aliens had already killed, according to like their fucking like numbers, like sixty eight percent of the planet or something right, they destroyed like 70% of the livestock so there's going to be a famine when this is done like all this shit like I don't need this to like know how terrible the aliens are at this point and honestly you could just hint that this could happen without doing it to you know tie into all those those alien UFO stories like we saw in Unsolved Mysteries no it's I just think it, I think it's gratuitous and just pretty much unnecessary and just really really hasn't aged well especially considering i don't know much about her then all she is afterwards is catatonic this isn't this seems to do it seems to be for no other reason although Derry, knowing more about its continuity apparently does have somewhat more of a reason i don't think it's justifiable but somewhat more of one but it almost just seems so that her brother and dad and people will feel things but we should already feel things Young blood is dead. <laughs> and I mean, I don't mean like like they were America's heroes. Like they're celebrities. Like when celebrities die or when soldiers die, we go nuts over it. Everybody should have already been sad enough. And no. in addition to the millions of hundreds of millions of casualties and also the casual racism in this is weird where they're like the Chinese peasants think they're gods. Oh, what yeah. was about? that about? What are you talking about? Oh my like, God, that was so weird. Why is this here? What's the fuck's going on here? It just, they, I, I don't know much about Chinese mythology, but that sounds like, oh, they'll just lay down and die because they think, ah, it sounds like a bunch of hooey. More like that would be what some weird-ass New Age cult like the fucking Heaven's Gate people here in America did. You know what I mean? We don't have to blame this on, like, Chinese peasants. You say some nut-ass people in North Dakota did. You know what I mean? Like, what are we right. doing? Yeah. Right, <laughs> Anyhow, right. that's an aside. But, you like, so we have some bad misogyny and some casual racism in the comic, and I kind of put them together. But the misogyny is definitely the worst. It's just, it's not a good couple pages, and it's very triggering for people. And it's hard for me to recommend that anybody read this because of it, just because that part's very triggering. Right. D uh, Derry, you had said that this does set up some continuity afterwards, though, right? Yeah, so years later, the Savage Dragon continuity is reset when a villain called Dark Lord shows up and uh, does a bunch of shenanigans yeah. and, and whatever. And the big reveal in that story is that Dark Lord is the child of Liberty and the Martians. And, and wow. it comes up to be basically the dark side of the Savage Dragon universe, if I'm remembering this correctly. But I don't know if this was planned. I don't know if Larson said, well, I have a big milestone issue coming up and I, I need the villain to have a big deal. I, I don't know any of the details, but I know that reading this, I was like, oh, wait, this is followed up. Somewhere in the future, this hybrid how, has become a big. How thing. many years are we talking after this? Oh goodness, this was ninety-seven. I, I would say with within a decade, maybe. Uh, yeah, because I don't remember if it was say. Talk about slow burn. Well, that's that's the thing with the Savage Dragon books. You know, Larson's the only person involved, so he can really take his time to to sure. focus on stuff. You know, currently in the book, it's it's not Officer Dragon; it's his son Malcolm, who's aged. Right in real time and, and become a superhero in his own right. It's also like a weird sex Is it comic like Earth now. or something. Yeah. There's a lot of continuity for yeah. a book that is only written and drawn by one guy. Um, 
But anyway, I just wanted to throw that in there because I, I did remember from reading the monthly dragon book that uh, uh, Liberty's Liberty's kid does eventually return and destroy the universe. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean that's the, that's the thing, and that makes that doesn't make it better per se. But no, least, no, not at all. Not no, a, no, I'm not saying you're you're justifying or anything, but at least there is some kind of like point to it in well, a long run because like as it is when you're reading there's no point it's it's gratuitous that's the other thing i want to get clear if you're not reading this like there's a point where you see her shackled her legs are all fucking spread you keep seeing like her face get like her eyes get bigger and bigger as she's more and more horrified as i assume like she's being penetrated or whatever and it's just terrible like there's just the other thing i don't think it should have happened at all but if you were gonna do it you certainly didn't have to fucking do it like this no no yeah no, you could have made it a machine i don't know i still wouldn't have liked it like you said artificial insemination or some kind of thing i still wouldn't have liked it but at least it would have been somewhat more palatable i don't see how anybody who's been like sexually abused or harassed or uh, assaulted or raped you know how you would read this and not be triggered a little bit right if i was involved in this right here i under i feel like at some point i would probably be upset by the way it was handled and want to find a way to make sure that it meant something. You know, at the end of the story, she's basically lost all of her agency and is catatonic. Right. That's it. This is, it's horrible. It's a horrible way to leave. I don't know what happened next to her, but like, it's it's not a good place to leave this, you know? Right. It's, it needs to matter, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And I think that that, you know, I could see Larson looking at it and saying, okay, this needed to matter at some point. So that's the problem there is I think a lot of, people in particular men think that rape is just another thing that you do mark miller said as much that it's just another evil thing and this is a way to have a payoff this is a way to have a big uh, an apex of a story you know it's, it could be a big moment for character development for everyone but it's not it's not the same as, as other evil things with the this is like the exception to like the rule like you can come up with a way you're like well you shouldn't murder people but i get why that guy murdered that guy you know or like well you shouldn't you know you shouldn't hit somebody but that's why they you know hit him you know you can justify almost every crime possible every transgression that's not one of them can you imagine being like listen listen i don't think you should rape but i get why they no you can't fucking say it doesn't work that way it's not the same as other things it's not and you can't just drop it into a story so that it feels more mature so it feels like a big moment to show how evil the martians are or whatever like you you, i just don't think it's necessary if you're gonna do it it shouldn't matter and it should pay off i'm not saying you can never have rape in a story but goddamn, why is there a rape in this story that's a fucking crossover between trade cards and superheroes. Right. <laughs> no shit. Okay, like what are we fucking talking about here? Doesn't even have a a, a, a for mature readers thing slapped on it or anything. You're not even like like this is this is a general audience. He's two bucks, man. What the fuck are you trying to fucking fool? You're not even. There's no point. There's nothing artistic to it. Honestly, it just seems it it, it seems weird. Like you said, they felt like this was a big moment, but it's gratuitous to me. And honestly, I like I said, I can't really recommend this for these. You take you take these pages out. And and even, you know, if they mentioned it off panel and the same thing had happened, I would like it. I could still in good part, good, you know, good naturally recommend it. As it is, I'm like, well, read it, but don't look at those two pages if you've ever had any of these kind of problems because it'll haunt you a little bit. Well, Derry, I want you to tell me what you thought of our conclusion here. Savage Dragon made his way to Mars. I, I thought this was such a great 
action movie way of of ending things uh you know th- this whole thing has a has a real summer blockbuster feel to it and ironically enough almost none of it reminds me of the actual tim burton film um not even a, a little no yeah that, no that not honestly me other, other than the visuals there's there's very little overlap there in in issue three you know before we get to the savage dragon great moment you know they actually have super patriot giving like the big powerful speech of of all the characters all the cameos everyone getting together i I even see mr majestic and uh yeah okay mr majestic why was he up there with mighty man fucking everything up this is a superman guy what's he waiting for this can't possibly be the case but anyone else notice that they seem to have drawn in prototype i didn't see that if you look at the, if you look at the, there's panels on uh, in issue three. I, I think it might just be Heat Wave. I, I think they might have similar costumes. Uh, but when I was, they could look similar in like a very small, you know, because you know, prototypes got that helmet that kind of expo- has the, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, I don't know how to say it, like the the face part. Of, it's not his face, but it's like dark. And yeah, Heat Wave has that stuff around him. that kind of the place where he would have the dark part of his helmet is Heat Wave's face. Yeah, maybe that's it. You saw, I saw Wildstar there though, and that was pretty cool. I like Wildstar. Yeah, Wildstar. It, there's a panel where it's Wildstar and Star together fighting yeah, something else. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the Finally. Star Brothers. Finally, <laughs> David and Christie, the Brinkleys united. <laughs> I yeah, I, I I thought that was great. I, I'm a sucker for that type of stuff. I, I still Same. watch it. I still watch Independence Day, the movie once a once a year, and uh, I I love this. I love the idea of Super Patriot, who's you know the Eric Larson version of Captain America, getting up there and saying, "Listen, we all know why we're here. Uh, there's no you know there's no question about that. You know what you have to do. Get to it and get to it because it's worth doing. And then it's just you know you can. You can hear the music swell as all these relatively new superheroes save the world. And then I love, 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 love that you get to the fourth issue and it's just what has the dragon, ostensibly the main hero in this whole crossover, done? He has gone to their home world because he has a friend who can teleport and he has just wrecked everything. And I, I love that part. <laughs> what a great image way of putting the bow on it. I, I If DC's invasion had ended with them sending the suicide squad to thanagar just being like mess everything up make sure they can never ever do this again but of course they didn't do this and image is like oh no we're gonna make sure they can't even think about coming back here again so we're gonna send our indestructible amnesiac superhero back there to just wreck everything behind enemy lines and it's great too because it's a full page he's wearing some like MacGuffin suit so they don't have to explain why he's he can breathe on Mars and everything else and he's, right. cracking, he's cracking a joke like you can almost hear like John McClane or someone saying it. it's just one of those things where it's like I wish that stuff with Liberty weren't in here but everything else I'm totally about it and I like that moment too and like I said, I love Vanguard. Yeah. He's like, oh, I, I can't help you directly. Uh, and if you read his book, he talks about like why he's not supposed to. But like, but he can like teleport people around and like indirectly do stuff. And uh, you know, he's like, oh yeah, I'll fly you to Mars. Sure, what the fuck ever. But like, I always wonder. I'm like, if Savage Dragon could just go destroy all of Mars, why didn't he just destroy all of this on Earth faster? Right. I thought the same thing. I was like, just. Uh- 
He's he's obviously powerful enough to go to the home world, right? And just and destroy <laughs> everything they have. Where they a still little OP, ships. bro. Just a little OP there. I mean, a little overpowered. I'm not mad about it. I think it's great too because, like, you're like Derry saying, it gives it that cool ending. And who who gives a shit if it makes sense or not? Because like, it just you just want to end it with that cool like middle finger into a thumbs up like action movie style from the time. But I did think that when I when I said, oh, that's cool. He fucked them all up in Mars. Why didn't he just fuck him up on Earth to begin with? Well, yeah, but I but the way you got to think about it is um, Earth is the front line. So it's the equivalent of saying, you know, am I strong enough to go to the front lines of a battlefield and destroy all the equipment and the soldiers that I encounter? Well, no, probably not. But if you send me to the Pentagon, I could probably, you know, do some damage. That's, that's how I was looking at it because the original premise in issue one is, well, why are the Martians attacking Earth now? Well, it's because they don't have a space fleet, right? They they don't really, maybe they don't know about Vanguard. They don't know how powerful these guys are. Certainly, there's nothing preventing Mighty Man, Mr. Majestic, and Supreme from pushing Mars into the sun. So, the, you know, the telemetry is not that great. But uh, I kind of read it as, like, you're sending someone behind enemy lines and hoping for the best. And Dragon's the best person to do that because as much as you hurt him he can always regrow so yeah no i i, I got it no, i'm not i'm not this it was more just uh, here's the thing it sounds like he destroyed all of mars but what he probably only destroyed was their command center right yeah that, right i, I see him like but like the way they're talking because they're like come in mars mars you know and so it's just like Why also i'll give him this too early on they have force fields here and they uh and so he couldn't do it here you know because there are too many force yeah. fields there there they probably had fewer of them once he got behind him but kudos to vanguard what a guy i hope he got some gas money from savage dragon yeah yeah they're also like they're underground right like the whole martian civilization is underground yeah they're clearly experimenting with uh complicated reproduction like you don't know they're only there might Jesus only be christ i'm just saying they might not you know they might be at a point in their evolutionary development where they don't have a very big population and maybe this giant chicago man with a fin shows up and at first they're like hey are you our deposed emperor oh you're not okay cool uh and then he's like oh, i'm gonna murder everyone because you guys wrecked the loop you know i ought to tweet rob liefeld and ask him about young blood in this issue and be like hey what do you think of mars attacks and how they treated young blood rob? he will fucking block you he'll think that you're I like, know. an asshole yeah. that's why i'll yeah. never do it i don't want to be blocked but, but, but like him. i i too would like to know what he thought about this because it's because <laughs> it's utterly unnecessary like there he yeah. said you can just go on you don't have to put this in here at the same time as weird as this is going to sound I don't think Eric Larson, I don't think these guys have been anything bad by it. It was just like, I don't even think it was like a ha-ha, fuck you. It was more like, hey, they're not going to be around anymore. It's kind of like a loser, you know, like like Bret Hart's going to the w, going to WCW. He should put somebody over before he leaves. Where these guys aren't going to be around, let's, let's, get some, let's get these Martians over. They're not going to affect anything. We're going to kill them, you know, and go on. I don't even know. That, I don't, like I said, I don't think we know there was any maliciousness intended there you know i'm sure it was fun you know like the same way you kind of elbow your guys like you know we give each other a hard time on here but i don't think that there was like hatred involved it's not like they draw on all the characters being murdered in a (laughs) oh yeah all heads on spikes and stuff yeah i mean it almost makes sense in the context as i i I think dean mentioned before you know youngblood is the premier super team and they're celebrities like they're loud yeah, they're well known. They're government funded. They're like yeah. the big bad guys. If you're going to attack Earth, it's like, oh, I should probably take out 
them first yeah. before I do you anything You might else. not even know about Shadowhawk or Cyberforce. Yeah. Wildcats, part of their fucking name is Covert. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. they don't, yeah. you know, like, the idea is that, like, they're not out there in front of God and everybody. Now, Dragon is, he's a cop, and, you know, you know what I mean? But, like, he doesn't, also doesn't have a big headquarters. He'd yeah. go after the cop shop anyway, whether he was there or not. Does Shadowhawk have any powers? No, not that I no, know. I didn't of. think so. Okay. okay. I think there's there's like different iterations of them. There may be one that has because I think there's some yeah. Shadowhawk in time. I'll look more out of that later. But yeah, I, I didn't think that each iteration like got a special power. No, 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 no. This one for sure doesn't. This one for sure is his only power is like, you know, telling the military to, you know, leave him alone because he's going to go save some people <laughs> while they fuck around. Yeah. And, and, I, and there's a lot of that. There's a lot of like the Witchblade Max moment, which. Uh, <sighs> You know, that's a really fun moment, but like the Max is like, go to Times Square. Why? I don't know. <laughs> it reminds me of the Dawn of the Dead scene. The co- they're at the uh, the harbor and the cops or the other cops are leaving the, uh, the the people will be on the helicopter and the cops in the boat are like, yeah, we're going to try and get to some islands. And they're like, what island? It's like any island. <laughs> Just any- and so it's like, go to Times Square. Why? Is it safe there? I don't know. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's a place to go. <laughs> They're digging I in. love the Max in this comic because it's so obvious that no one had any idea what the Max was, and they were just like, "He's not well, even. He's only like semi-real, right?" Yeah, like, that's the other yeah, thing. Like, what's it's happening like, here? Right. If you've read the Max books, you know it's like, wait, does this even make sense with his? comic but well, I mean, Sam again, Keith had to okay it or he wouldn't be here yeah yeah it's a it's a minor quibble I, I like seeing him in there because because to Dean's point earlier like I do like seeing the various characters interact and this had to be the only time Witchblade met Max but right. again I got figures of both of them so I was happy to see it right finally your head cannon comes you know becomes real <laughs> the moment <laughs> <laughs> Which point had to be like a, a rookie too, because she only premiered in '97. So uh, you know, good for good for Silvestri for being like, hey, I don't really care about Cyberforce. Could you could you put this broad in here like as quickly as possible? And they were like, yeah, sure. That's not too long uh, after this. She gets a show, right? 2000 TNT, something like that. Yancey Butler, yes sir, yeah. yes sir. When I worked at uh, Turner. TNT still had like a poster of Witchblade in there. They had this poster to like 2007, being canceled for like five fucking years, man. <laughs> Honestly, this is going to sound weird. I'm always making such weird like pop culture analogies. But in a lot of ways, this is almost like a, a Smith's album because it feels a lot less like an album. Their albums felt most like I'm more like collections of singles. This feels a lot less like a big story and more like a bunch of little moments that they put together that somehow kind of resolve, you know, a whole thing. It, it feels like the Shadowhawk spawn moment, the Shadowhawk with the Cyberforce military moment, the spawn save Cyberforce moment. I'm not saying there's no narrative, but it almost feels like these moments are packed in under the narrative, whether they go seamlessly or not. Listen, I think it's a perfectly enjoyable comic other than the gratuitous rape scene, which, you know, is like how others than that. How would you enjoy the movie, Mrs. Lincoln? But like I said, if you're aware of it and you want to try it, like just be there's a very large content warning here. But it's like uh, like there he's been saying, it's the only time you're going to see a lot of these guys talk to each other. It's uh, it's always a lot of fun to see various superheroes get together. It's worth it for a lot of the little cameos. Like I said, I marked out just as much, you know, to see the little Ninja Turtle or the little Ninja Turtles cameo or the Wild Star moment. Or even when they mentioned that the pact died. I'm like, oh, wow, somebody remembers the pact besides me. Great. It's a cool, neat little series. 
I don't think it ever quite comes together, and I think it has that big strike against it. But there are definitely worse ways to spend a little time, you know, especially if you enjoy the heroes of this of this era, or if you just like seeing the Mar- the Martians of Mars attacks. Because honestly, when they get drawn, they're drawn very well here. And I think about at least 80% of their appeal is in their aesthetic. Right. So uh, pure 90s, baby, pure 90s here. And, I, you know, I don't think we talked about this, but in some ways, this is like 96. This is like the last gasp of old image. Image is going to be a lot different in 98 in a lot of ways. This is kind of like that last time where it ever feels like there was ever an image universe, at least consistently, you know. So that's a, that's a, neat, it's a neat little piece of history in that regard, too. Also, bringing it all together. The one thing I'll always appreciate more than anything is when you see a character use an accessory and there is Spawn killing a giant ant and cockroach with a board with a nail in it. And I have nothing but respect for that. I love it when I see I do. I love it when I see a character use an accessory. You know, like I loved it when I would read the G.I. Joe comics and like Repeater had his M60, but Leatherneck had his M16 uh, over under with the A2 grenade launcher. And you could see them drawn differently. I was like, oh, yeah, I've got that. (laughs) So I like that, too. So uh, your mileage may vary. I'm not going to read this again for the reasons I stated, but it's not like, you know, it's not terrible for any reasons. A lot of fun house ads. Enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah. I just hopped on to Robotech Wiki here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, hopped, I hopped on the to uh, DC. Itself. This is actually on DCFandom.com. I assume because of the Wildstorm tie-in. There was a previous event to this called Shattered Image. And yes. that occurred between August of 96 and December of 96. Yeah, I'd like to cover that sometime, too. Right, right. I, I picked up all four issues of that. Uh, so you, you were mentioning about how this was kind of going to be the image universe was going to be changing. And that was actually for me, one of the last events that I remember happening for image comics was shattered image. I'm sure right. there might be something after that, but I, I mean, the business that. model of image itself is going to have to change in approximately a year because 35% of the comics they used to sell, they're not, they're not going to sell anymore. Right. Because Wildstorm's going to be a part of DC. And if that doesn't make you change your fucking business and change what you do, then you're just not going to have a business to change. Well, so back to the story for myself. Uh, yeah, I mean, I read it. I And I think a lot of the issues that I had with it was more along the lines of like, I don't know if I felt that the, the characters were being treated or represented well uh, or right. well enough. And the thing is, is that I used to read a lot of image and, and Daria, while you were away, I think I was telling... Dean, the the comics that I was reading at the time, I was re- I was reading Savage Dragon pretty religiously, Stormwatch, Wildcats, and Supreme. So those were about the four main titles that I was getting. You know, Deadly Duo showed up. I recognized who they were, but I, I don't remember them being idiots like this. I think they were played as comedic in in the books that they were. Labman had no idea who that was. Didn't know any of the whole the Super Patriots kids. I didn't know any of that. Those characters showing up here, brand new, fine. That's fine. I don't know who they are, but. You know, the, the rest of the ones that I'm very familiar with. And Shadowhawk going around and trying to pal around didn't... I always felt like Shadowhawk was a loner to me. I gotta say, I don't know which Shadowhawk this is. Because uh, the yeah, first same. Shadowhawk was probably dead. And he's dead by this point. And I don't know much of the characterizations of the Shadowhawks that follow. So if it was like the sh- the new Shadowhawk from uh, the Kurt Busiek uh, book and stuff, this could be more 
in line with his uh, characterization. But I agree with you. The Shadowhawk I'm more familiar with, not really what's up. To the point where, like you said, you know, you're like the Savage Dragon. He's asking Dragon for a handshake. And then I showed you, you know, Shadowhawk Volume 1, Number 4, where Savage Dragon's beating the shit out of Shadowhawk. And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) the Dragon sure shakes hands weird. (laughs) And let me say this about the, uh, the, the, what is it, the Deadly Duo? The Deadly Duo. That's another part of the rape scene that really hurts is the next page. They're joking about a genocide. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, so we've just seen this terrible thing happen. And now you're making jokes about how you killed all of Detroit. And like, I'm like, and so, so it's, it's bad in two ways. Number one, under normal circumstances, I could probably let the joke slide, but you just showed me rape. So now you're making a genocide joke. Congratulations. Mm. Number two. Oh, so you're joking three panels after this horrific rape. Thank you. They made a joke about the rape. Oh, um, shit. That's right. Yeah. He, Lab Man goes, gag. You don't suppose they. And then Kid Avenger goes, it's not what I would have done with a lab rat. That's like, right. That's right. That's t- see, that's that's just you, you don't have to do this. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, that's even bad for the time. You know, Derry, we're shitting all over this. <laughs> I no, Listen, I, I'm I'm with you guys. I, I enjoyed it very much. But yeah, that that scene at the end, it's tacked on. It doesn't add anything to the overarching story. You could skip those pages and not really, unfortunately, know anything that happened. And yeah, as a result of that, it's it's really difficult for me to recommend it. But, you know, it, it sucks because this is one of the few times you're going to see all these characters meet, even if it's for only a couple of brief cameos. But yeah, that that ending, that's that's rough for everyone involved. I, I could see the appeal, Derry, for sure. You know, it, it, just like you said, the, back in the day, you see all the you see all the characters on the on this cover. These guys are coming together. They're going to be fa- facing one big threat, and finally, yeah. our image universe might be an actual image universe. But then you find out, as you just said, and that was a well thought out, well explained. Like it didn't exist. <laughs> it never. Yeah, did. no, that's really spot on. You know, I mean, you're right. There's no such thing as the image universe. There just is these. There are these characters that they've apparently interacted and what's canon and what isn't is up to the individual creators. And that works the same way with like reprint rights from what I understand. Like Todd can reprint Spawn, whatever. doesn't matter who's in it. Like that was part of the deals. They were like if Stormwatch was in Spawn, he could reprint it. I don't know that they ever were. Um, uh, but like those kind of those are the kind of deals they kept, which also falls in line with these are really. It's really not necessarily six universes, but it's six character houses that sometimes visit each other. There's two comics of Wildcats on the DC Infinite app that actually feature, I think, Cyberforce characters. And it's for the rules you're saying. It's like they were they crossed over with the Wildcats and it was with the assumption that like, hey, if I ever reprint these, I'm not calling mark silvestri up to get his permission like they appeared in my book i have permission in the wildcats right and And it wouldn't surprise you if some money goes to silvestri for it but that's all been sorted out oh yeah sure sure to go you know just just to make it easier and it's one of the smart things they did and one of the smarter things they did considering there are seven of them and i don't think you would ever start a company with seven fucking bosses like you know if you, you know like they did but you know kudos to them for getting that part right Mighty Man is not a character with a ton of appearances, but they are they are great. They're just yeah. a great take on the Captain Marvel premise. You see a little bit of the character here. You see some of the more interesting things about them, whereas, you know, the original Captain Marvel Shazam was a young boy, Billy, here. And it's more complicated if you read the Savage Dragon book, but Mighty Man, the Shazam stand-in, is actually 
uh, a young female nurse. And there's a really cool storyline for that. And if no one's read that before and you're thinking about it, I, I won't spoil it, but it is it is great. It's a great Captain Marvel story. Uh, and seeing that character here and, and really be in their element and really kind of save the world is, is incredibly rewarding. And Mighty Man's a character that's in the Big Bang stuff, too, that's really good. That Gary Carlson, who scripted this, writes, you know, Big Bang, and he created, didn't create Mighty Man, but was a co-creator of a lot of the Big Bang characters. And when you see Mighty Man show up in the Big Bang comics, it's a treat as well. I think we've reached the end of our discussion here. Anything left unsaid, though, before we get into plugs? No, it's all it's all been spoken. Nothing <laughs> was left unspoken. Oh, <laughs> unspoken issues have been spoken. I like it. All right. Well, that, my friends, was Mars Attacks Image. And we went for way longer than I thought we'd ever go for this four-issue series. Listen, if you want more of this, there's plenty more of this here on the Source Material Comics feed. But we're going to go ahead and get into plugs. Dean Compton, tell them about the Unspoken Decade, sir. Yeah, you know, go read us over at theunspokendecade.com, all 90s, all the time. We're on Facebook, been posting a lot of Cool stuff there. Simbifan does a lot of the posting there. Over at Twitter, I'm about to start looking at the uh, 1991 Marvel card set. Uh, you know, I did uh, 94 and 90, but I think we'll do 91 card by card because it is my absolute favorite yeah. Marvel card set of all time. And uh, it, is the, it, is, it is the bridge uh, that I crossed to get into comic books. So check that out. That's Adam Spoken Decade on Twitter. I'm going to make Dairy Wake come and like every one of them, put a heart on every single one. <laughs> So I'm about that. So you want to come by? I need you to come look and make sure there is at least one heart on all of them. So, nice. <laughs> yeah, uh, for myself. Hey, listen, like I said, more unspoken issues right here on the uh, Source Material Comics feed. Also, the Source Material Comics podcast. Go check out myself and Mark Radlich talking World War Three. The last takes place in week 50 of DC's 52. The Martian Manhunter story, and we we weren't the kindest to it. We'll just put it that way, and it's a real quick podcast. Trust me. We're not getting into everything that's happening. It was probably le maybe 30 minutes long. I think that's about it. I don't really have much else I want to plug here. I don't have my calendar in front of me, but uh, certain that you can go back in the archive and listen to us discussing 18 chapters of Valiant's Unity. It's out there, folks. And it, it, your time will be absolute. <laughs> it will be. Well, that being said, that's Dean Compton. That's Derry Waite. I'm Jesse Starcher. We'll be talking to you soon. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us. Unspoken Issues is part of the UnspokenDecade.com, the home for 90s comics, blogs, and podcasts. Unspoken Issues also has a Facebook group you can join if you are interested. Just search the Unspoken Issues podcast and request to join. All of this would not be possible without W2Mnet.com and the Rattlich and Broadcasting Network, so make sure to seek them out for more podcasts. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please feel free to share, and we look forward to entertaining you again soon.